0: Welcome to Horizon. Well, it is the week of Thanksgiving. And if you are like me, you're already starting to think about the turkey, the gravy, the mashed potatoes, you know, all the comfort food that we uh, crave this time of year. And in a typical year, my family would be heading on Thursday to Nana and Papa's house, uh, the home of my in-laws. And there would be a couple dozen of us there. The kids would be running around having fun. The adults would be sitting you know, eating their food and having awkward conversations about politics and religion. Uh, such a good time, but of course, this isn't a typical year. So, for us, and, and probably you're the same, our, our Thanksgiving is going to be a little different. And for some of you, maybe your Thanksgiving is going to be a lot different. And that can be a, a bitter pill to swallow. Uh, not being able to see grandchildren that you're used to seeing this time of year, not being able to give that warm hug. Um, to a a cousin you only see ever so often. Um, It it certainly is a loss. And I think I can feel that in myself this week. And I've talked to others who are feeling that too. Um, That not only has COVID cost us so much this year in terms of health and death and um, lost jobs and businesses closed down and even personal things like vacations canceled and weddings postponed and all of that, but now COVID has come for the pumpkin pie. I mean, it is the last straw. Um, and it's easy to start to find yourself being a little bit overwhelmed. Well, here's the good news. If you, if you relate with any of that, um, the good news is that the Bible has encouragement for every possible season of life. And today, as we join back with Paul, as he's writing to his friends in Thessalonica, Um, he is writing to friends who are experiencing a very similar year to us. I mean, they have gone through a horrible year of persecution and suffering and there's been lying and miscommunication. I mean, it is just a hot mess. And in the middle of this letter, Paul is going to pause and he's going to interject five verses of hope. And he's going to sandwich them right between the first chapter and a half of talking about end times and, you know, the... Son of Man coming back and the Antichrist. And then at the end, he's going to scold some of the lazy Thessalonians. But right in the middle, there's these five verses of hope. And Paul is going to sprinkle these little breadcrumbs throughout the five verses. They're going to be packed full. Um, And and they're going to be pointing to our main verse of today, which is chapter Two, verse 15, that Paul is going to be encouraging them to stand fast and to hold on to the traditions that he had taught them. And the good news is, is that all of these encouragements from Paul today, all of these little breadcrumbs of truth, they are all true for us as well. Every single one of them. So what I would love for you to do as you hear these this morning, is is just pick one by the end of the day that you feel like God is really impressing upon your heart um, during this week. So as we've been doing, we're going to unpack these verses. We're going to see how they lay out, see what Paul is trying to say together on our magnetic board. You know, Paul is a uh, a master writer, but he is a bit like an Ikea Pamphlet writer. Like he is just hard um, to understand sometimes. So it's helpful to unpack it together. Okay, so the first verse here, verse 13, is But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you. And the we here is Paul, it's Silas, and it's Barnabas. So there's three of them. And who are they giving thanks for? What says the brethren? Beloved by the Lord, so that is the uh, Thessalonians. But it's also us. Well, why why is Paul thankful for them? Have they done something for Paul? Have they sent money? Have they been really faithful? Um, Well, now Paul's going to say because God from the beginning chose you for salvation. That that Paul is. Thankful for them because they've been chosen by God. Kind of a a weird thing to be thankful for. Um, But we're going to unpack it. And that salvation even has components to it. That the salvation is through sanctification by the Spirit. So it's through God moving um, in their lives. And that salvation is through belief in the truth. So again, Paul is thankful they've been chosen by God from the beginning for salvation and that salvation is happening through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. And that truth, it says, is something they were called to, to which he called you by our gospel. So they've been called to this truth, this sanctification, this salvation. And then the million dollar question becomes, well, what what for? Like what have they been called um, to salvation through sanctification and belief for? What's the payout? What's the end game here? And Paul listed it as for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So now we're going to continue to unpack these verses together. Okay, we're going to look at what we just broke down and look for those little breadcrumbs of hope that Paul sprinkles throughout these five verses for his friends in Thessalonica. And again, the first verse is this. It says, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you. And the way we're going to look for these breadcrumbs of hope, the lens I'm going to use, are these four words. And then the the hope. It's in God you are. And in this verse, it's inspirational. That in God, these Thessalonians were inspirational to Paul. He was giving thanks for them. And the language is kind of weird. they saying, I'm bound to give thanks for you. The original Greek is even stranger. It's obligated. He's saying, hey, I am obligated to give thanks for you guys. I like, Try going home tonight, fellas, and saying that to your wife. <laughs> Honey, I am obligated uh, to thank you for this meal tonight. This is delicious lasagna. Um, it's probably not going to be a hallmark moment. Um, So what is Paul getting at here? Well, I think Paul's saying, hey, I have seen what God has done in your life and it is so beautiful, so magnificent that I can't help, I can't contain the gratitude that I'm feeling. It's almost like when you behold something beautiful and how you just have to respond. About a month ago on this very stage, um, Morgan Smith, who is a uh, man who attends Horizon, uh, but he's also a uh, professional opera singer. He's world-renowned. He's traveled the globe. Um, he was here, and he sang the Lord's Prayer to finish a service. And, and I was sitting 25 feet away, um, and it was beautiful. I mean, it was, like, magnificent. It was awe-inspiring. Um, I, I got up, and I had goosebumps, and I had to come on stage and give some closing comments And you know what I didn't have to say to the crowd? I didn't have to say, hey folks, let's give a big hand for Morgan. Yeah, way to go, Morgan. You know, like you clap at your kids' sporting events. Um, Because everyone erupted into applause because they just couldn't help themselves. I mean, it was just beautiful to behold. And I think that's what Paul is telling us here is that he just can't hold back the gratitude he feels for his friends. It's also interesting here that in uh, chapter 1, Paul says the same thing. He says he's bound to thank God for them, but he lists all the things that they had done. He's saying, hey, I'm thankful for your faith growing, your love abounding, your patience, uh, your enduring. He, he's trying to encourage them in, in chapter 1 and list off the things that he's seen in them. But here in chapter 2, it's, it's interesting. He's going to say the same words, we, I'm bound to be thankful for you, but... Instead, he's only going to list things God had done in them. That Paul is knowing they need to be encouraged, but that the change that needed to happen in their lives would only come from the truths of God in their life. So let's move on. The second uh, part of this verse together, again, it's they're bound to give thanks. And then it says, brethren... Beloved by the Lord, and the sprinkle of hope that I see here is that in God you are royalty. I don't know if you know that, but in God you're part of the royal family. And the words that I, I get that from are these: "Brethren, beloved by the Lord." And I don't think Paul's using brethren here like a you know small town pastor where he's calling everybody, "Hey, brother, and hey, sister." Like I don't think he's just handing them out willy nilly. I think he's saying, hey, we are children of God. Like we are prince and princesses and we serve the king of all kings. The royalty. It's pretty cool. Um, God says, it, or we're told this in John, it says, behold what manner of love the father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Friend, God God bestows his love on us by making us his children. And, and I know sometimes that can seem kind of like a, a warm and fuzzy Christian platitude. It's like, hey, you're God's son or God's daughter and he loves you. You know, and you're like, oh, great. It's just how my mom loves me and my grandma loves me and my dog loves me. Like, thank you. Almost as if God is like this elderly gentleman at Bob Evans, you know, and he's sitting there with his buddies drinking coffee and he pulls out his wallet and he's flipping through pictures and he's like, fellas, let me show you pictures of my grandkids. You know, here's Sammy. He likes to skateboard. And uh, here's Tom or Tim. That's no, yeah, yeah, one of my grandkids. He's there. <laughs> uh, well, That's not the picture we get at all of, of God's love for us. Instead, we get the picture of this perfect father. That there are countless verses in the Bible that talk about God's love for us. It would it would take us all of our time today just to read them. It would probably be much better than what I'm sharing. Um, there's countless analogies in the Bible about God's love for us, and, and it's perfect. So, parents, think of the like the absolute best second of the best minute of the best day ever of your parenting. So it's that pinnacle moment of you as a parent where you are just being self-sacrificial and loving and lavishing love on your kids. You know, they should write books about this moment. Well, that moment pales in comparison to a, a millisecond of God's love for us. It, it's, it's not even comparable. It's, it's like looking at Spam versus Filet Mignon. They're just two different galaxies Okay, so we, we have to understand that we're part of the royal family. We're loved by the God of the universe. And if I haven't convinced you yet, here's, a, here's another way to think of this. Um, you know, you have some family maybe that you, you love them, but you don't really like them, right? Like a, it's like Uncle Ed or something and he tells off-color jokes and makes you a little uncomfortable, but you love him because he's Uncle Ed or, you know, it's your, it's your niece Dorothy and She's great and all, but she did burn down your garage. Um, So you love her, but you don't really like her so much. Um, Well, well, here's what I want you to know is that God likes you. (laughs) Okay, like he knows everything about you, what you think, what you do, and he likes you. That the Bible says there's three things that bring God joy. His son, Jesus is baptized and God rips open the heavens like a proud father and says, that's my boy. In him, I'm well pleased. And there's creation, where God makes the world and he takes breaks and he looks and he says, it's good. And then the last one is you, that that you and I bring God joy. That there are verse after verse and parable after parable about shepherds finding sheep and being so joyful and about wives finding lost coins and being so happy that they bring them home. Friends, you're amazingly, amazingly loved. And I hope that can set in. And we continue here and we're working our way again through verse 13. Brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation. And the breadcrumbs of hope here are in God, you are a first round draft pick. Right? Wouldn't that be nice? The, the problem with the Thessalonians is they had thought God had left them behind. Uh, they were like that last kid in gym class waiting to be picked for dodgeball. And they're like, hey, over here, anybody see me? You know, they, they felt like God had moved on without them. And Paul is saying, hey, no, no way. Like, not only has God not forgotten about you, like you were picked before the game even started. Like, know that. Like, it, you're the first choice and that changes everything, being chosen, doesn't it? And it's interesting that being chosen is really being loved, that they're really linked interchangeably. In Ephesians, Paul says this, he says, just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And you get this linking and marriage of being chosen and being loved and this word um, chosen here in Ephesians and in 2 Thessalonians is uh, sometimes chosen is used in this language. And it means elected, like how we choose a president. And he's elected or she's elected by the people. Um, but here in this use, it, it means taken for himself or adopted, which is even cooler. So one of the great joys I've had over the last four years here at Horizon is uh, getting to know the Pence family. Um, so they're, they're a great family here. I got to know Pasha, their son, and then um, Aaliyah, their daughter, has come through the student ministry. And uh, Rob and Brandy adopted Pasha and, and Aaliyah. And I asked Brandy to share with me a little bit about that experience because I think it parallels so greatly what we're talking about. And, and she said it, of course, better than I ever could. So I'm gonna read you a little bit of just what she sent me. Um, she said, I often tell it like God had a plan that I could not bear children because he knew that Pasha and Oliah would need us to be their parents. In other words, yes, our love for one another led us to want to share that love with our children, whether or not they were genetically ours. It was a difficult realization that I could not have children, So we chose the option to adopt and pursue our family in that way. These kids definitely make our family. And then listen to this line. This is powerful. And I feel blessed to not have been able to have children, but to adopt them. And when I read those words, it blew me away. And it, it made me think of, you know, that moment where Rob and, Brandy, or on another continent, thousands of miles away from Pasha and Aaliyah. Um and Pasha and Aliyah could do nothing to earn being chosen by Robin Brandy. They just existed, and Robin Brandy chose them, and they could do nothing to be loved by them. It, they just love them. And does that sound familiar? Like that—that that is us. That—that that is our relationship with God in a nutshell, that we've been loved and we've been chosen just because he's good. And it does push us into some uh, deep theological waters here. Like maybe you're saying, well, so Ryan, like Paul's saying, we were chosen before the world began? Well, yeah, that's that's what Paul's saying. Uh, And maybe you're saying, well, then what about free will? And, you know, like Revelations, where Jesus stands at the door and he knocks and, i let him in or not like well yeah that's true too <laughs> okay so maybe you're thinking well i don't understand that how am i chosen but yet i choose and what i would say is i don't totally understand it either to be honest with you that that i think god is this master story writer and just like any good story writer there's the main plot is crystal clear you you understand the everything but there's these these little mysteries that are left for later. And with God, um, there's mysteries that we're, we might not know till we get to heaven. And it's going to be some fun conversations. And Paul says this in uh, 1 Corinthians 2.7. He says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Friends, God is just on a, a different wavelength than us. He doesn't think like us. He doesn't um, act like us. He's just at a higher level. So so it's impossible for us to think that we could understand him. I'm kind of glad I don't. It means that he is just another level of mystery for me. Okay, so let's continue here with our main verses in verse 13. So they've been um, chosen from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit. Through sanctification by the Spirit. And the sprinkling of hope in this is that in God, you are made holy. It just kind of blows me away because I don't feel very holy <laughs> very often. I don't know about you. Um, and this word sanctification here is hagiasmos. Think I'm pronouncing it right. And it basically means that something is either set apart as different or holy, like it's just classified that. Or it's an ongoing uh, act of holiness being created. And in the Bible, we see both uses. And when it's used with Jesus, like here in 1 Corinthians, that it's talking about sanctified in Christ, Jesus called to be saints, that if sanctification is put near Jesus, that it's talking about a, a classification. Uh, this happened right now, that because of the work of Christ, when I accept that, that I am made holy. In the moment, I'm set aside. But here in 2 Thessalonians, where it is using the Holy Spirit with sanctification, it's talking about an ongoing holiness that can happen in our lives. So it's pretty cool that we, we have this like twofer where we're, we're claimed as holy by Christ. And then over the course of our years, the Holy Spirit authors more and more holiness in our life, that our actions begin to match our DNA, if you will. And uh, Charles Spurgeon has a quote about this that that I've loved. And it says this, it says, Had it been possible for you to have had salvation without sanctification, it would have been a curse to you instead of a blessing. If such a thing were possible, I cannot conceive of a more lamentable condition than for a man to have, have the happiness of salvation without the holiness of it. And what old Chuck here is saying is he's saying, hey, even if, Jesus called you and claimed you and certified you as holy, um, but the Holy Spirit didn't bring about holiness in your life, you'd you'd really be missing the boat. You wouldn't have as much uh, joy and life in your relationship with Christ, that you would still be ruled by the power of sin. Like how awesome is it that we get both? We We get the certification of holiness from Christ's death on the cross and we get the ongoing holiness in our life From the Holy Spirit. So let's keep going here. So we've been chosen for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. And the sprinkling of hope here, the breadcrumb of hope from Paul, is that in God you are enlightened. That this belief in the truth is your eyes being opened. And here Paul is, he's, uh, contrasting the Thessalonians with the um, people earlier that he says did not believe, the condemned. And it can be kind of easy to finally be like, hey, here's finally a part of this whole salvation thing that like kind of depends on me. You know, like I'm, I'm kind of a big deal. Like I actually believe instead of these condemned people who are like peons, right? Like they, don't, they just don't get it. Um, Well, before you go too far down that rabbit trail, just know that, like, it's just not true. That even our belief is given to us from God. It says this in Ephesians. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Friends, even the very fact that, like, you believe and God is a is a gift. It should cause hope. It should cause joy in your life, right? There's other places in Scripture where God darkens the understanding of someone, and and I don't understand that totally. That's one of those mysteries that I'm going to ask Him about when I get there. But if you believe, and man, be grateful for that belief that you have that hope in your life. So we've worked our way through verse 13, which has been power-packed, okay, with just lots of uh, information. And now he's going to turn and he's going to say, to which he called you by our gospel. So Paul's saying all of this stuff, you're chosen for salvation through sanctification and belief. And to all of that, you've been called. And the sprinkling of hope, the breadcrumb to follow, Uh, is that in God you are wooed, (laughs) okay? That this calling of you is God wooing you towards himself, okay? And and of course you think of like romantic relationships for that probably, Um, but I think of uh, my childhood pet, you know? And just like everybody else, I had a pet squirrel. Um, Oh, You didn't have a pet squirrel. Okay, yeah. Well, I had a pet squirrel. Um, One day a baby squirrel fell down our chimney. The mother rejected it. So we just, we had to raise this squirrel, you know, and it was this tiny little thing and it was terrified of us and it had teeth. um, So that was fun. Um, But we would put on leather gloves at first and we would feed it literally with an eyedropper, like feed it formula. And over time though, it started to trust us. and, And then over time, it became like the family pet. Like, I, I got pictures of this thing on my head, on my shoulder. I mean, it just was our pet. Will, will God woo's us to himself in the same way? That, that I would imagine that most of us um, probably had a process in our coming to Christ. And we had a conversation here. We remember a talk about this there. Or we, we read this book or, or maybe we got some courage and even read a little bit of the Bible even if we didn't understand it. And, and it was this kind of gradual pulling of God where he's just pulling us towards himself. And, and here at Horizon we, we love that. Like we love the long game. Like that's why there's no high pressure used car salesman pitched from the stage every week because we know that God is the one who woos people to himself. And, and he's saying here that they were called by their gospel. So the words um, that Paul was sharing. So let's keep going. So they're called by the gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the sprinkling of hope here is that in God, you are glorified. And I know that can sound kind of weird in a way, but um, I mean, certainly in here we see that like God is glorified, right? Like there's no way to stop that. It's like trying to stop the earth from spinning or the sun from shining. Like he is going to be glorified. And certainly in here you could take the, the glory of heaven, right? That like eventually when our race is done, we're, we're going to enter into glory. You know, with glorified bodies and um, totally separate from the effects of sin on us and the world. It's going to be awesome. But here it, it even gets to a, a deeper root. And when we look at the words, you can see that he's saying for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the obtaining is like being given something like, hey, give me that. (laughs) Um, Of, well, what's the of? It's of the glory, right? Of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's the glory of Jesus that, that we get to share in the glory of Christ. Like that's pretty cool. And Paul says it this way in Romans. He says, And if children, then heirs. So again, you're hearing this royal family um, come back up. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. That the suffering that the Thessalonians were facing, that they were joining into that with Christ. and, And maybe the suffering you're feeling right now you're joining into that suffering of Christ, but you're also joining into the, the glory of Christ. I remember growing up, and one of my mom's favorite authors was uh, Johnny Erickson Tata. And if you've ever come across Johnny, she's, she's amazing. She's a, a Christian author and speaker, and she has a, a great ministry called Johnny and Friends. And at the age of 17, uh, she dives into a pool, and she, she breaks her back. And in a moment, she's a quadriplegic. And she shared that, like, she, obviously, it was catastrophic. That for months, she didn't want to live. She couldn't imagine a future um, that was ahead of her. And and thankfully, God surrounded her with people. She got involved with Young Life, which is something I was uh, involved with for about 20 years. And they read the Bible, and she started to find hope again. And, And years later, she would write these words, About God's glory and how she factored into that. She says, It is a glorious thing to know that your Father God makes no mistakes in directing or permitting that which crosses the path of your life. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, it is our glory to trust Him no matter what. That part of the way we show glory is by just trusting God. Uh, John Piper says that, like, our glory should always be reflective glory. It shouldn't be original. It should just always reflect the original. So a few months back, remember the, the harvest moon and, and how that was just amazing to, to see? But well, when you think of the moon, it is just a, a rock. It doesn't have a light source of its own. It just reflects the sun and the glory of the sun. Well, that's how I think of us taking apart, part, obtaining Part of the glory of God. Okay, we're going to go back to our board. Okay, we're going to finish out what Paul is telling his friends here. So he's, he's given them basically the whole gospel. He's laid out everything from salvation to sanctification um, to belief in the truth to holiness. And now he's going to give them a quick challenge, okay? He's going to say, therefore, brethren, so therefore, my friends, I want you to stand fast. So I know the world feels like it's spinning and it's slippery. You're getting tripped up. You're being knocked down. But I want you to stand fast and hold the traditions, which traditions here is translated as the truths, so the teachings that Paul had given them, not so much like the, the Jewish traditions. Um, But the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by epistle. So by our words or by our letters. And after that challenge, now Paul is going to end here. And he's going to end what he's done a few times here in 2 Thessalonians with a prayer for them, okay? And it's like he's going to take a deep breath (laughs) after all of this. And he's going to say, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself And our God and Father. So that's who's going to do this. And, And here's some information about those two fellas. Who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. So Paul's asking Jesus, who's loved us and given us consolation and grace. He's asking Jesus to do something. He wants him to comfort your hearts. So, Paul's asking that they would be comforted. Because again, they're being oppressed. They're being persecuted. They're being beaten. Their very lives are in danger. So, Paul's saying, God, comfort them. And establish you in every good word and work. He's praying that God would keep moving in their tiny little church in Thessalonica. That they, they want to give up. They want to fold everything up and just head for the hills. But he's saying, keep going. God, comfort them and fill them with strength. So let's, let's keep unpacking these verses. So here in 15, again, we have stand fast and hold the traditions. And the sprinkling of uh, hope that I see here from Paul is that in God, you are emboldened, Okay that he's, he's going to strengthen you to stand fast. Well, in some ways that could seem like, well, God, how am I going to stand fast? Like, do you think I didn't think of that? <laughs> like, oh, I should just stand fast. Ah, oh, silly me. Well, no, he's going to say, hey, stand fast by holding those traditions. Hold on to those truths, the things I just told you, that you're chosen, you're sanctified, you're loved, and those things will help you to hold on. And now he's going to pray for them. Okay, he's, he's reminded them of all the good things God has done in their lives. He's challenged them to stand fast and to hold on. And now he's going to pray for them. He says, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. So he's again, he's just again lavishing the, the small little uh, breadcrumbs of hope that they're they're given hope and and the the question I would ask myself is like they're given hope by grace and and what I think of in 2020 is like where in this year of suffering and loss like where does my hope come from like am I am I putting my hope in the grace of God or am I putting it in like the economy turning around or you know the uh, the vaccine, or finally getting to go outside without a mask on. Like, where am I putting my hope? Well, well, Paul's encouraging them and praying that they'll put their hope in the grace of Jesus. And then he says to comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. And the last little sprinkling of hope here by Paul is that in God you are made strong. Well, friends, I know that this has been a, uh, a crazy year, right for so many of us. And to me, it's amazing that that a letter that Paul wrote to a, a church in Thessalonica could, could be so on point, that uh, there could be so much uh, hope um, pointed to in it for, for us. And I'm going to end today with um, the words of Paul out of Romans, and he says this in Romans 8, 18, he says, "'For I consider that the sufferings of this present time "'are not worthy to be compared with the glory "'which shall be revealed in us.'" And if you remember when we were breaking down those verses, we talked about how we were chosen for salvation through the sanctification of the Spirit and the belief in the truth. We were called to it by the gospel and then that last line for the obtaining of the glory of Jesus. So so I promise you that you, you can't you can't outgive God, that the, the suffering that you're experiencing with him um, pales in comparison to the glory that he will give you in your life. So let me pray for us. Um, Jesus, thank you for for this word from Thessalonians. Thank you for examples in scripture of people like me, people who were uh, scared at times, people who were discouraged at times, people who were broken at times. And I thank you that the very same hope that you inspired Paul to share with this young church in Thessalonica, that it, it holds true for us. So pray that you would help us to stand fast, help us to hold on to those truths that you have taught us, so that we may not be knocked down. We give this all to you in your name. Amen. Thanks for being here, and we hope to see you next time.